It's good to be together this morning, and welcome to all of you. We're delighted that you're in the house of the Lord this morning. As we continue on with our series on getting out of the boat. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about not going back. Don't go back to the boat. Once you've left the boat, you've left your nets, you've left your fishing, you begin to follow Jesus, don't go back to the boat. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, as we consider our theme this morning, getting out of the boat, no going back. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, let's just kind of spring forward by three years, approximately. And now we're going to find ourselves after the resurrection. Jesus has been crucified on the third day. He rose again. And now we're going to come find the disciples one more time. John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Afterward, this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is one and the same as the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Say it, church. They caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, the life of Peter, I believe, and as we've been saying week after week, is one of the most interesting of all the men I find in the New Testament. He is one that's so human, one that we can relate to so well. His background fascinates me. Peter lived in Capernaum, located on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was a beautiful small little village that was built right on the water's edge of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's home was just a stone's throw from the lake. You can actually visit the ruins of the house of Peter there in Capernaum to this very day. Peter was a rough and tough fisherman, meaning that he was just a little on the rough side in so many areas of life. Fishing was not merely Peter's advocation, it was not his hobby, it was his full-time vocation. He and his brother Andrew, they fished the Sea of Galilee commercially. Fishing, with their sole, fishing was their sole source of their livelihood. His call to the ministry is so simple and so, so wonderful. You know about it because we've looked at it in the past weeks. He and his brother Andrew, they were casting their nets one day, into the Sea of Galilee, fishing when Jesus walked by on the shoreline. And Jesus called out to them and simply said, Come, follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. And his response was immediate. In verse 20 there, it says in Matthew 4, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Peter knew that if he didn't make up his mind right there and on the spot, then maybe he would forget the moment, and we talked about that last week, why it's so important when the Spirit of God is speaking to us that we respond immediately. And so that is the way he responded when Jesus said, I want you to leave your nets, leave your boats, leave your lifestyle, come and I will make you a fisher of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now Peter was what I would call a natural born leader. Where he would lead, others would evidently follow. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle, as we know from Scripture, along with some fellow fishermen by the name of James and John. Matter of fact, many theologians believe that Peter and Andrew, James and John, the four of them had kind of a corporation. And so it wasn't just Peter and Andrew, but they were as a corporation, they were working together as four fishermen with their boats working the Sea of Galilee. Now Peter had seen much in his life as he followed after Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, come follow me, which was a call to discipleship. And as he followed after Jesus, he experienced so many things. Peter had seen the dead raised back to life. He had seen the blinded eyes open. He saw the lame walk. And he saw so many miracles in his life following after Jesus, which was over a span of approximately three years. From the time of his call to where we're going to catch up with him today, is about three-year period of time. So you can imagine all that Jesus had showed them, taught them, trained them in this period of time of three years. Now it was Peter that we know from Scripture that when Jesus asked the question, whom do men say that I am? It was Peter that responded and said, well, some say that you're, you know, John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, same Jeremiah. And Jesus said, okay, that's what they're saying on the street. But how about you guys? You have followed me. You've been with me now for three years. Whom do you say that I am? And it was Peter that spoke up and said, I know who you are. I can just see him kind of like raising his hand like a kid in school that just can't wait to give the answer. And he responds by saying, thou art the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus responded back to him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is not something you've been taught by men, but this is something that's been revealed to you by the Father in heaven. Now I want you to skip ahead with me for a few moments. And let's go all the way in Scripture, all the way through this three years of training. I want you to come right down to the Last Supper in the upper room, which took place just hours before Jesus would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd be taken to trial, and he'd be crucified. Now in Matthew chapter 26, I want you to see what happens here. When Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus told them there in the upper room, following that, what we call the Last Supper, he told them that there's something ahead now that's going to absolutely cause such fear in your lives. You're all going to scatter. 
the shepherd, which was Jesus, would be beaten and would be uh, placed on trial. And as a result of it, out of fear, they would go running in different directions. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into the Galilee. Remember, Galilee is where Jesus had his ministry headquarters there in Capernaum. It's where Peter lived. It's on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You can count on me, Peter is saying. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered this very night. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered this very night. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Now, friends, I'm sure that Peter meant every word that he said that night. However, we all know this is not the way it played out. Listen to what truly happened. Look at verse 69 of Matthew 26. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man in today's vernacular. I don't know him, and I'll swear that on a stack of Bibles, like some might say. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. We can tell that you're a Galilean, in other words, and you've been with this Jesus. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then I want you to see what he does. Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And then he goes off and he went outside and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the pain of Peter's conscience as it lashed out against him in that season, in that moment? reminding him of his own words. Everyone else may abandon you, Lord, but you can count on me. And then when the little girl comes along and says, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And he responds, I don't even know what you're talking about. And again he responds, I don't know the man with an oath. And then as he cusses and curses, he says, I don't know the man. Now, friends, I'm so glad that God remembers that we are but dust. And he knows that we are tempted at times and that we will fail at moments. And that he lovingly restores us when we fail. It is with that in mind, I want you to listen to the angel's message to the women that were the first ones at the tomb on resurrection morning. I want you to see how Peter is specifically called out Letting this one know that had, you know, these great grand, you know, gross or grand uh, ideas of I'll never fail, I'll never fail the Lord, I'll never deny him. And then he's denied him. 
But here's what the angel said to the women that morning. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you where? Into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Notice there it says, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is now alive and that he is going to meet them in the Galilee. Now I want you to guess where Peter's at at this time. He's right back to his old life. Peter's back in his boat. He's gone back to the Sea of Galilee. And he's back fishing. Look at John chapter 21. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and then you'll find Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. And in that moment, Peter says to them, and it's a statement of throwing in the towel. It's a statement of, I'm giving up on this thing of being a fisher of men. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. I want you to consider with me, first of all, Peter's discouragement with himself. You know, the devastating power of discouragement cannot be underestimated. You know, the devil uses discouragement in such a way to cause you want to give up on life and give up. Matter of fact, it's in times of discouragement that we make some of the worst decisions that we make in life. It's in a moment of discouragement that maybe it was a bad day at the job and we say, I quit and walk out the door on what was a job of a lifetime for us. Other times, out of discouragement, we walk away from family, our mates, you name it. It's in those moments of discouragement that we're very vulnerable to giving up. And so Peter, in his discouragement, he said, I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back. I know that way of life. I know that, and I can do well at what I've done in the past. You know, there's a little piece that somebody wrote a number of years ago called The Devil's Best Tool. Listen to what it says. The devil, according to legend, and it is legend, once advertised his tools for sale at a public auction. When the prospective buyers assembled, there was one oddly shaped tool which was labeled not for sale. Asked to explain why, the devil answered, I can't spare this tool. All others I can spare, but not this one. It is the most useful implement that I have. It is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts that were otherwise unaccessible. When I get this tool of discouragement into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there that I may desire. Peter had set high standards for himself. And so having denied the Lord, not once, but three times, he found himself now wallowing in the mire of discouragement. I can only imagine what was going through his mind. Phrases like, I have miserably failed, and it's over. I give up. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm not cut out to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going back to my old life and what I know best. I'm going to go back. I'm going fishing. 
Remember now we said that Peter is a natural born leader. And as such you'll find when Peter goes in a certain direction, others are always following him. And as such his decision to return to fishing negatively affected six other disciples. Those disciples being Thomas and Nathaniel, James and John, plus two others, they're unnamed. And they said, in response, when Peter said, I'm going to go fishing, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm giving up. They said, we will go with you. Friend, you need to understand this morning, no man is an island unto himself. Every one of us in this room, we all affect others. The decisions we make are not only the decision that will affect our lives, but they affect everyone around us, especially those that are the closest to us and love us the most. And so Peter is no island unto himself. And our actions always affect others. And they responded back and said, we'll go with you. If you're going to throw in the towel, we're going to go with you. You're going to go back to fishing, we're going to go back to fishing as well. You know, Satan often uses discouragement then to cause people to retreat and go back to their old ways of life. Now, friends, this morning, if there's only one thing you remember when you walk out of this room and you go and get in your car and you go back into your everyday life, here's the one thing that I want you to remember. Never, ever go back to your old way of life. Let me say it again. If there's only one thing that you walk out of here with, once the Lord has called you and you began to follow him as one of, your, of his disciples, never ever go back to your old way of life. When you slip and fall, which you might, get right back up and go forward with God at that very moment. I want you to see this morning. That's right. Now Peter, he has a lesson to learn here and he quickly discovered the emptiness of his old way of life. It didn't take Peter long to figure it out. Out on the Sea of Galilee that night, fishing all night, catching nothing, that his old way of life and commercial fishing wasn't that great after all. John chapter 1 and verse 3 simply says, they fished all night and they caught nothing. In today's vernacular would say, they worked hard fishing all night and they were skunked. I think we've all been there at some time or another. The only, thing we did, the only thing we accomplished all night is to drown some worms. We never caught a fish. And so it was with Peter. They fished all night. And remember, he's a commercial fisherman, along with maybe their partners in the corporation of James and John. So it's Peter and Andrew and James and John, commercial fishermen, and these other three that have joined in with them. And here they are, they fish all night to catch nothing. How frustrating that is when you work hard and catch nothing. Friends, I would say to you this morning that every single night of the week here in Milwaukee and cities all across this nation and around this world, the likes of Peter, they spend all night partying yet their emotional and their spiritual nets are empty. They fish all night and catch nothing. You see, at this point in Peter's life, he's on the run from God. He's on the run from the call of God upon his life. Fisherman, fisher of men, forget it. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do what I've always done prior to meeting this Jesus guy. 
Friends, I want you to know that God never calls any one of us to leave the best behind when the call is to follow him. Satan often would like to make us think that we're the ones that have sacrificed so much to follow Jesus. However, in reality, we are not the ones that have made the big sacrifice. It is Jesus that has made all the sacrifice, and he made it on our behalf so that we might have a hope and that we might have a future. Jesus willingly gave up his honor in heaven. He set aside his glory and came to this earth. He took on flesh and blood so that we might identify with him and that he could identify with us as a faithful high priest. He was born in a cattle stall. He came onto his own and his own received him not. And then he willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary for each and every one of us and all of us on this planet. By comparison, when you look at the list None of us has given up anything of any real value for Jesus. And once you've experienced Jesus, and once you've experienced his purpose for your life, going back to fishing will never, ever be the same again. Thirdly, I want you to see that all through the night, it was Jesus himself that stood on the shore. Peter and the other disciples thought that they were all alone out in the dark of night on the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus was standing all that time on the shore watching them all night long. Friends, I want you to understand this morning how impossible it is to hide from God. The psalmist David said it this way, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths or in hell, another translation says, even there, you are there. When you feel hopelessness, when you feel discouraged and depressed by your failures, I want you to take a good look because you'll find Jesus is standing on the shore. He's been watching over you all this time. And so the disciples are out there bouncing around on the Sea of Galilee. They're back to their old lifestyle. And Jesus is standing on the shore. And I'm sure he just kind of shakes his head. These guys don't get it. I called them away from the very thing they're now doing. The thing that is bringing them no success tonight is only just a little example of what their lives will be like without me. And so when you feel hopeless, when you feel those moments of discouragement, when you feel even depressed by your failures, I want you to know Jesus is standing on the shore waiting for you. Now I want you to see Peter's restoration. What happens when they reach shore? Peter received the opportunity to make things right with the Lord. I'm so glad that God doesn't write us off when we mess up. Even when we mess up, Big time. When we go to the shore, we'll find Jesus waiting for us there. Listen to what it says now in John chapter 21, starting with verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, get back to feeding my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? When Jesus used the word love here, 
In the Greek, there's a number. There's about five different words that are used for love. And he was using the highest, which was agapeo. Do you agape or do you agapeo? Do you love me with the highest level of love? And when Peter responds, Peter responds using the Greek word phileo. How many have heard of the city of Philadelphia? That's where it gets its name, from phileo, which means the city of brotherly love. And so he says, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. You're like a good friend. And Jesus then asks the question again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you, do you love me with this highest level of love? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You're, you're a fond friend of mine. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Notice how Jesus is sending them right back to where they had left. You're out doing the very thing I called you from. When I said, leave your nets, leave your boat, come, and I will make you fishers of men. And now, here they are, discouraged and despondent, and they're out there doing the same old thing over again. And Jesus, rather than condemning them, he is saying, get back to where you stepped off the path. Get back. Take care of my sheep. Here's the third time. And the one, two, and three times are insightful as well. Remember, Peter had denied the Lord how many times? Say it. Three times. And so now he's giving them three times to respond and to be once again placed back into the ministry of what he had called them for. Here we find it. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because the Lord asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I'm struggling here, I might add. You know that I phileo. You're like a, a good friend. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, it's interesting. Jesus asked him, first and foremost, do you love me more than these? And I've often tried to figure out, what was Jesus talking about? What was the these? What was he referring to? I think when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, he was talking about, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? Do you love me more than you love your brother Andrew? Do you love me more than James and John? Do you love me more than these men that have been with us together, the 12? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your boats? Do you love me more than your nets? Do you love me more than fishing? Simply put, do you love me more than you love your old life? There's no condemnation. The whole account is all about restoration. And friends, I believe that many of you this morning, it's time to get out of the boat and get back to your calling. You may have slipped, you may have fallen, you may have denied him, you may have said maybe even the same words, whether it's in action or whether it's verbally. I don't even know this man. What are you talking about? And I believe that he's calling us back to our first calling. I think of the story of Cortez. Cortez left Spain and came and found the New Worlds. When he came into the New World in 1519, he arrived with a number of ships and 600 men. 
And those of you that know the story, you know what Cortez told them to do. Empty off the ships, bring all the things that we brought with us, place them on the shoreline, and then after you've emptied the boats, here's what I want you to do. Do what? Anybody remember? Burn the ships. Burn the ships. So there is no way, there's no thought of ever going back to Spain. Burn the ships. And I believe that the Lord is saying today to many of us in this room, no turning back. No going back. Peter went back and it was miserable for him. The other disciples, they found the emptiness in what was once fulfilling. And he's calling us, saying, will you become my fishers of men? I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've saved your soul. I've delivered you from drugs. I've, I've given you so much in life, and now here you are. You're going right back. Don't go back. Never go back. God's got a better plan. Got a better plan, and his plan is ultimately out of this world. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads, please? Father, this morning, as we come to this part in getting out of the boat, we realize, Lord, that Peter, the very one that you called by the Sea of Galilee, and said, I want you to come. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. He walked with you for three years. He saw the miraculous. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he literally saw the glory of God with his eyes. And he heard the voice of God with his ears saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He was there when dead were raised to life. He was there when blinded eyes were opened. The deaf could hear. The lame could walk. Been part of such wonderful miracles. Was there when Jesus poured into their lives there on the the mount just telling them, here's, here's how you live the Christian life, and gave them the Beatitudes and gave them the standard for, for living in the kingdom of God. Lord, we too, we experienced much. Lord, I believe today you're calling your people to get back out of the boat. Lord, some in this room, they started out with you just like Peter. Something happened, they became discouraged. It may have been something of their own doing or maybe something that happened to them that was beyond their control. But nonetheless, they bear the scar. And the scar of the moment is so deep, I just give up. I'm not fit for this Jesus thing. Lord, I pray today that there would be healing of hearts. Lord, I pray that the, the wayward sons and daughters that have gone back to fishing would come back to the call of God upon their life. Lord, I pray that the emptiness that they have discovered of the old life they've went back to, 
It's so empty, it's fishing all night and catching nothing. Lord, I pray they would understand that in all of this time, you've been standing on the shore and you've been looking and wanting and longing to speak to them. And from the shore, you shout out to them, have you caught anything? They say, no, we fished all night, we've caught nothing. And that even to the extent of caring for them, you even made a meal for them. And they made their way to shore. I ask, oh God, Lord, for those that feel like Peter, they feel like it's all messed up and gone too far. Help them, Lord, today to realize you're calling them back. Lord, not only you're calling them back into relationship, you're calling them to a life of following you and making a difference in this world in which we live. With heads bowed and eyes closed.